Jajajanda, let's start with the Navkar Mantra. Om Namo Arihantanam, Om Namo Siddhanam, Om Namo Ayadiyanam, Om Namo Ujjayanam, Namo Luisa Vasahunam, Esu Panchanamo Karo, Sava Pavapanasano, Mangalalancho Sarvesim, Paramam Harve Mangalam, Paramam Harve Mangalam. So, of course, the focus of this class has always been to take how to take Jainism outside the classroom and into your life. So today I'd like to discuss how practicing real Ahimsa increases the quality of your life. And I say real Ahimsa because most of us practice fake Ahimsa. Ahimsa is, of course, nonviolence. That is, we practice vegetarianism, we put bugs outside of our house without killing them, and we call it a day. Well, it doesn't take that much strength to be vegetarian if that's how you grew up. We use ahimsa as an excuse to feel better than other people and justify why we don't practice real ahimsa. Hey, come on in. Good to see everybody again. So today we're talking about uh, real ahimsa mm -hmm. and how to practice real ahimsa. John Ashish and Sandeep just joined the class. Everybody, we have John here today. Hi. He's online. How are you? Doing good? How are you? Good, I'm good. Thank you. That is, we use ahimsa as an excuse to feel better than other people and justify why we don't um, practice real ahimsa. So before we take Ahimsa outside of the classroom, let's keep it in the classroom for just five minutes here and take a moment to remember the bigger picture in Jainism. Ahimsa is, of course, nonviolence. It's one of the five vows that lay people take. Who remembers the five vows? <laughs> nonviolence, number one. Uh, Non-attachment, non number two. Come on in. Number three. That's right, certain forms of celibacy. So we have nonviolence, non attachment, certain forms of celibacy, two more. Truth, that's right, non lying, one more. Close. Um, that, that is a, that are three different ones. Um, that's a right, correct thought, correct speech, correct action. Non stealing, correct, that's the fifth one. So non-violence, non-lying, non-stealing, non-attachment, and certain forms of celibacy. Those are the five vows that um, lay people take. So we use these vows to reduce the inflow of karma to our soul, which is called samvar. And we burn as much karma from our soul as possible, and that's called nirjara. And if we burn enough karma, we'll escape the cycle of life and death and achieve liberation, which is called moksha. So great to see you again. It's been one year, two years. Thank you so much for coming. Yeah, I miss lot. I know that. No, no problem. It's so great to see everybody again. I'm very happy. Um, today we're talking about ahimsa. And of course we want to achieve liberation, which is called moksha. 
So, and remember, violence includes violent thoughts, violent speech, and violent actions. Most of us don't perform violent actions. Most of our issues will be reducing violent speech and violent thoughts. Ahimsa has grown not only to include the negative aspects, but also it, the definition of Ahimsa is kind of like scope creep has been growing to include to a mandate on positive actions such as charity. And this kind of scope creep has led to Ahimsa being all of Jainism. That is, if you're not Jain, what you probably know about Jainism is Ahimsa because Gandhi really popularized it. Okay, so that's our five minutes of theoretical. That's where Ahimsa lies in the big picture. Um, so now let's take Ahimsa out into the real world. And to do that, we need to talk about the problem of choice. The problem of choice means the more choices we have, the more likely we are to be unhappy when we experience minor inconveniences. So the common example is when you go to buy jeans. You go to the store, you want jeans. There are 30 types of jeans, all right? So first, you spend a bunch of time trying, to, trying different jeans on and trying to decide which one to buy. Second, when you finally make your purchase and take it home, if it's not exactly right, you're unhappy and you get mad. And you don't get mad at the store. You get mad at yourself because clearly the right jeans were there. There were 30 different kinds of jeans. It's, it's either we didn't spend long enough or we were in a rush or something like that. So you get mad at yourself. You don't get mad at the store because clearly the store provided you the the choices you needed. So now imagine there were just three types of genes, small, medium, and large. The small is too small and the large is too large. So you put the medium and you call it a day and it took you two minutes. It took you 30 seconds to make your choice. And even if you have to wear a belt, that is, even if it's slightly unfit, you don't feel unhappy about it because the large was still too large, the small was still too small. And so even if you wear a belt, you're not unhappy about it. You're not mad at yourself. You're not mad at the store. So what was the problem? The problem is choice. Okay, so that's what we call the problem of choice. There are too many choices. Now imagine that's just genes, right? When you go into the store, there's like a million types of bread. There's 10 types of butter. There's eight types of milk, right? And so the, a lot of our problems with unhappiness is the problem of choice. So what does that have to do with the himsa in the real world? Well, let's look at a common scenario where we get angry and commit violence in thought, speech, and action. You're driving on the road. Somebody cuts you off. So hopefully we have a lot of choices here about what we do and we go through, each of us does something different. Uh, hopefully none of us would commit physical violence. I don't think anyone here would commit physical violence because that happens, but we know that that has occurred. Some people do that, right? Some of us might honk the horn, right? And utter some curses at the person that cut us off and made us angry. Some of, I, some of us might just utter the curses. Does anybody here, do we have any no honkers here? Like never honk the horn for any reason? Oh, people do use the horn, okay. <laughs> I used to be a no honker, but then I started honking and then I got used to it. Then I, now I honk all the time. <laughs> um, 
some of us might frown for a little bit, right? And we just might uh, say, what we might wonder why that person is disrespecting us. Or we might wonder why no one seems to be as good a driver as us, right? Now, if we practice fake ahimsa, we might say, oh, that person must be in a hurry. Or, oh, hey, I remember there are times when I needed to switch lanes and I had to get over and I was sorry that I had to cut that person off, but I had to get over and that person probably just doing that. That is, we make excuses for the other person and that helps us to not feel angry. And then we feel good about not feeling angry, right? We're like, oh, I didn't get mad there. That was great. I understood. I put myself in the shoes of that person and I did the right thing and I didn't honk my horn and I didn't think bad things about that person and I didn't certainly didn't commit physical violence and I feel good about myself. But the real practitioners, practitioners of Ahimsa see all of that for what it really is. It's excuses and it's rationalizations. The real practitioners, practitioners of ahimsa don't, do not give themselves the choice to be angry. And they don't congratulate themselves on not being angry because they didn't have a choice in the matter. The real practitioners of ahimsa don't choose from among those examples we listed. Now, just because the choices are moral and right and good, doesn't mean they're not fake or rationalizations. The real practitioners of Ahimsa have forgotten about the person that cut them off almost as soon as they're done tapping the brakes to slow down because they didn't give themselves the choice to be angry. So questions or comments on that? Exactly fake ahimsa, I didn't quite get. Fake ahimsa is deciding to be nonviolent and then sometimes congratulating yourself on deciding to be nonviolent and taking the right path and feeling better about it, feeling good about yourself. That's fake ahimsa. That's like we practice vegetarianism, we put bugs outside and we call it a day. That's fake ahimsa. We want to be practitioners of real ahimsa. That is, you're saying we're choosing where we want to use ahimsa? Is that what you're saying? That's right. We're making a choice. Um, the real practitioners of ahimsa don't give themselves the choice to be angry and then do not choose not to be angry. Okay. So how do we get to a place where anger is not a choice? That is, we preclude violence from our life. Right. That's a great way to put it. Well, how do we get to a place where anger is not a choice? The answer is going to surprise you. And for that, I want to remind you of something that we've talked about before. That is, two totally opposite things can be true at the same time, depending on where you are. That is, 
the right and moral and Jane thing to do, I will tell you differently depending upon where you are on the path. And they might be opposite things. So for example, when we're just starting out, I we tell people do as much good karma as you can, right? That's what we tell our kids. You want to get as much good karma as possible. Well, but when we're well along the path, we want to say, hey, we don't want any karma. We want to stop doing bad karma. We want to stop doing good karma. We want to burn as much karma as possible, right? So depending on where you are, two different things can be true at the same time. So in order to get to a place where anger is not a choice in your life, you have to start with the realization that anger is always a choice. Okay, remember when we talked about all anger is directed at the self and I challenged you to give me any scenario where anger is not directed at the self and nobody could do it. Here's what I'm telling you. All anger is a choice. That is, every time you get angry, you choose to be angry. You are choosing that. So how to get to a place where anger is not a choice is that in each situation, you choose not to be angry and you get better and better at it, at choosing not to be angry in every situation where you might be. And all of a sudden, not all of a sudden, it, it, takes, it takes practice and it takes a lot of hard work. Uh, but then it starts to become a part of you. It starts to become your identity, choosing not to be angry. And then you will find out that anger is not a choice. You will never make that choice and it becomes part of who you are. Just like uh, being vegetarian, right? Every time we go to eat something, we have a choice. We can eat meat or we cannot eat meat. And we've made it so many times that it became a part of us, right? So if we make the choice not to be angry enough times, it will be a part of us where it's never something we consider. It will never even cross our mind. It will be a precluded choice. That is, it's never a choice because it never comes up to us in our mind as a choice. It would never, the real practitioners of Ahimsa, it would never occur to them to honk on the horn if somebody cut them off. It would never occur to them to utter curses at that person. Their ego would never be hurt. As soon as they tapped on the brakes, they would be thinking about whatever they were thinking about before. It's almost like that person didn't exist because they're on to the next thing right after. And that's the whole reason we want to practice real ahimsa is because we want to save our precious brain cycles and save our precious time to do what, what's really important, which is samvara and nirdra. That is blocking the inflow of karma and burning karma. So questions or comments on that? Two questions. How does one practice not to get angry? Or what, what are the tools? So the tools for um, not getting angry are, let's see. <clears throat> get angry because we we don't recognize that we're getting angry but recognizing that we get angry is one of the tools of understanding how to manage that right you know right and it's always mindfulness we always come back back to that every class right um which is why so you guys are probably tired of hearing about mindfulness and meditation 
but it's always mindfulness and it's always um, being in the present moment and working towards your goals in every instance of your life. That is in every moment. Um, the tool is always mindfulness. And that's what um, the practical tools are when you start learning about anger management. You learn, oh, you know, count to 10, focus on your breath. Those are safety valves for mindfulness. That is, those are safety valves to make you realize what your goals are. And your goals are not getting into a fight with this person. Your goals are not, um, your goals are to have a good relationship with your children, not to get mad at them for not eating their food. Uh, your goal and uh, the answer is always mind mindfulness and the practical way to be mindful. Other questions or comments? Okay, so... Sure. So karma are minute particles that attach to your soul for every action that you take. And in order to uh, karma, when they bind to your soul, they have a natural expiration date at which point you experience the fruit of your karma. So if you have bad karma, when it naturally expires and um, uh, leaves is not bound to your soul anymore, something bad will happen to you. But you can shorten the natural expiry date by performing nirjara or penance, uh, sometimes called tap. And that is what we call burning karma. That is getting rid of it before the natural expiration date. So doing the, the right thing to create good karma, to burn the bad karma, to replace and burn the bad karma. No. So very common misconception. Um, it's not doing good things will replace the bad karma. Doing good things will attract good karma to your soul. And when those naturally expire, you'll something good will happen to you. But burning karma is something different. It's doing penance such as fasting, yoga, uh, taking, uh, meditating, saying prayers. So when we do penance, we burn karma, uh, bad karma and good karma. And they come to fruition before the natural expiration date. No problem. Okay, so how do we go about practicing? No, how does real ahimsa increase the quality of your life? <clears throat> well, first and most obviously, uh, we don't suffer the consequences of the cycle of violence. That is, when we commit violence against someone else, well, that opens the door for them to commit violence against us, and then we retaliate, and so on and so on. We stop that right there. Second, uh, we're not controlled by other people and we can work to more towards our own goals. That is, anger controls you and people use anger to control you. That's what the new cycle is, is people using anger to control you to do what they want you to do. And it's not too much to say that anger enslaves you. I do not think that that is a mischaracterization uh, of what it is. That is, your anger, ego, deceit, and greed enslave you and prevent you from doing the things that you want to do. Third, of course, we can do more samvara and nirjara if we practice ahimsa. And that's um, one of the blessings about being born a human is that we can do a tremendous amount of samvara and nirjara, which is the blocking of karma and the burning of karma. And fourth, 
by precluding violent thoughts and speech and action, there will be a serenity that comes about you. I don't know if you've ever experienced it with these people. If you've seen how holy people are, you've seen that they are serene, serene people. And that's because there's a certainty that they can handle very difficult situations. And there's a clarity of purpose that you can achieve in your life. Um, a lot of us don't know. A lot of the problem we have, of course, is the problem of choice. And when we expand that to our life, it's hard to know what we want, right? A lot of times the problem is we don't know what we want and therefore we're kind of lost. And when we don't know what we want, well, other people tell us what they want and we do what they want, right? But when you achieve finding out what you want to do with your life, there's that clarity of purpose. I don't know if you've ever experienced it. Some of us have experienced it short term. But when you find out what you want to do with your entire life, you will be at peace and you will be that serene person. Does anybody have experience with meeting somebody like this? Because that's the best way to do it. Like, I can talk to you till I'm blue in the face about this. But has anybody ever met somebody like that? No? Well, I think uh, I, I would say not a religious person, but uh -huh. even senior leaders when we see sometimes at work right uh they have a lot of high stress they should have right, based on their position and what they're doing mm -hmm. when sometimes i talk to them I'm, I'm surprised how calm they can be right, right with everything going around so not truly a holy person uh, obviously some marasabs and others uh, they are that way but but day-to-day -day life you see some of these people and you know they have much bigger and complex issues on their mind but still they can manage how they talk and not react so right i think we saw them last weekend right i think that for a child to have that much control and not flinch about anything going on around them mm -hmm. uh, i've seen them go to other people's homes to do bug that as well like it's kind of crazy like i i if I was, if it was my kid, my kid after one would be like, hey, I'm done, right? Like, you know? <laughs> but the amount of control, calm, you know, sincerity that came through, right? Like, I don't know if I have that, that kind, you know. Right. And so the very simple answer is by eliminating violence from your life, you're well on the way to enlightenment. Now, that word's gotten a bad rap recently. Enlightenment early on. I mean, everybody, the whole world knew that was a thing you could achieve and saw people that were enlightened and wanted and knew there was a path to get there, right? Now we don't see anybody like that. Now it's like a bad word. People like, people think it doesn't mean anything. Enlightenment means something, okay? And it is possible for you to achieve in this life. And people have achieved it. And there are people walking around on the earth right now that are enlightened. And so the simple way to put it is that you will be well on the way to being an enlightened person. Uh, people don't know a lot of times what that means. That means very simply that you know your purpose, you're achieving your purpose, you're working towards your purpose in each moment. That is an enlightened person. Timothy, uh, long time back, I don't know if it was your class or Jewish class at that time, we said, uh, 
ego, anger, deceit, greed. These are the four things. Which was the simplest one we said? Was it's it an anger, ego, anger. deceit, greed, in that order. Yeah, anger, yeah. anger is your first yeah. one. Yeah, and let yeah. me... That's number one. You know? <laughs> yeah. That's all. Yeah. It's linked to Ahimsa. So, I mean, that's where right. it starts. Yeah. So right. I was wondering, I mean, that's the first one we say the easiest. But well, every yeah. time... Sorry? Well, certainly it's not easy, but that is the well, easiest. Yeah. yeah, yes. So, and, and every time when we talk about Ahimsa, you said we have a choice to make. Just reaching to the point that we realize that it's our choice that we Right. Exactly. And we want to make that choice enough time where it's never a choice anymore. And it's just, we never think about it enough. Um, you're right. Um, but remember, anger, it's not something like moksha where, okay, well, I'm going to work as hard as I can toward liberation, but it's not happening in this life. Anger is something you can get rid of. Now, it will take you less than one year to get rid of anger in your life for the rest of your life. That is something that we can accomplish right now. If you would have gone, if, you know, this is your yearly reminder that if you had started working on it when we mentioned it last year, you could have gotten rid of anger in your life by now. Okay? But very difficult. <laughs> right, right. Um, and so, so, yeah, that's the order. Anger, first you get rid of your anger, then you get rid of your ego, then you get rid of your deceit, and then you get rid of your greed. And it's so hard that, Getting rid of greed is so hard that you might backslide all the way to anger when you start to get rid of it. I just find it very challenging to get rid of anger because it goes back to expectation, right? So right. if you don't have any expectation, living as a layman, everything we do from the morning you get up, from the family you raise, there is some sort of expectation we inherently try to yeah. have. So it's very difficult. How are you going to get past anger? And greed so, is something, I don't know why greed would be lower in that rank because greed is... Higher, higher. Anger is the lowest. So you get rid of... Greed is the highest. Why? Anger, oh, ego, right. does anger, ego, deceit, greed. Yeah, he's saying it's easier to get rid of greed than it is anger. No, no. Easier <laughs> to get rid of anger. Right? That's what you're yeah, saying, right? You feel that way. I used to think that, but I was thinking the same way too. Yeah, but... Uh, how, who, who's defining this? Like, <laughs> greed is easier to simplify your life and not wanting things and sharing things. Where's much, this? much harder than anger. Yeah, because... So, so if, you, you want something better for your child than you have, right? Well, remember when we put all... greed? <laughs> no, this is it. <laughs> you I don't know, I'm just asking. Right now, you're just thinking about yourself, right? You forget about thinking about my kids. But for me, like, you know, like he's defining greed as in I want these nice clothes, I want a good car. I want good food every day, but there's no expectations towards that. It's like, okay, it's a bare minimum. Yeah, I have to clothe myself. I have to, like, you know, eat to live. Or however that goes, eat to live or live to eat. Eat right. to live is what we're looking for. Or not eat. <laughs> or not eat. Yeah. Uh, minimize it. Well, listen, I think you were there. Remember when we put all the money into the hat? Mm -hmm. And I asked you if we wanted to donate? And not one person said they wanted to donate. So how can you figure that greed would be easier than anger? Let's do that again. <laughs> that that wasn't that was just like the the fifty dollars that was in your wallet. <laughs> that that's just true. I'm just uh, it just seems that that's, if I'm living just, if I'm living in a layman's life, mm -hmm. 
before everything we do, there's some expectation. Otherwise, why am I going to work? No, right. You're absolutely right. We define anger as being caused by the mismatch between expectation and reality. However, uh, and we and we say we should always try to close that gap so we don't get angry. I'm sure it doesn't mean having no. Is the right answer having no expectations? I think not. Okay, but whenever those expectations aren't met, then you start having. It's like a slope, right? Well, once you have the expectations, then it's not met. Then you start descending, and then you have to use those safety valves, like counting to ten or breathing or mindfulness, to get back up. Okay. So, is the answer getting rid of all your expectations? It might be. Last year in January, we went through this anger management. Right. Some notes from there. There were five stages of anger. So, first one being expectation, second being insisting or agra, third being ego, fourth is attachment, and fifth is anger. So, I mean, all these five stages. That's what we and, and we took that car example, uh, meaning going on a speed limit. You expect that people are going for a certain speed limit, limit but then. Somebody is cutting the cross or going at, a, say, 90-95 miles per hour. You then, you know, that anger slowly builds in. Anger may not necessarily be uh, just the way of, you know, frowning. It, it could also be that feeling, the expectation itself, that he should be going at 65, for example. Uh, that is the first stage of anger. So, yeah, anger was, uh, anger was divided into different five stages and then based on the intensity you you decide whether it is two less or two more well i don't think we answered your question yet the question was how is it possible to not have expectations being a lay person and then to get to get rid of our anger because we don't have those expectations i think i, I think i said it wrong earlier it's not about having no expectations it's about having your expectations be in line with the likely reality. That's how you get rid of anger. Not by having no expectations. It's by having your anger be in line with reality. So for the car example, well, I expect to get cut off when, I, when I'm in the road. I know that's a very likely possibility. And so I tap on my brakes and I think about whatever it was I was thinking about. You know? And so with the family example, well, listen, you know, uh, I... Now that I have kids, I know like, oh, this is likely to happen. I'm going to send them to school without breakfast. And, you know, that's going to be one day. Another day, they're going to be complaining about their shoes. And another day, they're going to be doing that. It's not about having no expectations for our kids. It's about having the expectations in line with the possible realities. Other questions or comments? You got it. Yep. Okay, so... Um, 
So uh, let's talk about common scenarios where we commit violence in our life. That is, tell me about you. Tell me about when you commit violence and how you want to reduce that. I have a question. Okay. What is the difference between talking loud, talking assertive, and talking with anger? There's an expression and the limitation of your physical. Sure. How do you define this? Uh, sure, we can't because everybody draws the line differently. The question is, what's the difference between speaking loudly, speaking assertively, and speaking with anger? Uh, we wanted, you wanted, the question is, what's the definition? Well, there can be no definition because as you correctly put it, it's on a spectrum, right? And everybody has different demarcations on the spectrum. Me talking assertively, you might interpret that that I'm angry, but I'm not angry. The difference is intention. The difference is what is your intention while you're speaking. But people who talk loudly has a definitely physical difference than hearing. Mm -hmm. If I can't hear, I talk loudly. It's a connection <laughs> between this and this. Right. So, but you you say that people that talk loudly, for certain, it's a physical definition. But don't you see how it's a subjective one too? That is, what is loud for you might not be loud for another person. So there is some subjectivity there. But generally, I see people with a difficulty hearing always talk loud. Always. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Right. And I've been told that thing. Right. Tell you, person talk loud. <laughs> and then I found out the connection between this and this. Certainly. From five cents, it's transferred to different ways. Certainly. Yeah. So... If I talk to you in a loud manner, how would you consider it? Is it anger or is it just my deficiency in hearing? Well, see, that goes back to Ashish's point, right? Was I understand the possible realities that uh, are, and so my expectations are in line with those. So I don't interpret that as anger, right? And I don't get angry about it. But that's only once you know me. Yeah, that's right. That's once I know you because I understand the possible realities better. That's right. Absolutely right. Uh, so tell me about you. Tell me about when you commit violence in your life and let's talk about how we can reduce that. Because this class has always been about that. We talked a lot about what the theory is, but I want my interest is in you reducing violence in your life. So I'll mention an example, a quick one, since we're talking about car. Uh, here, violence is mostly like just about getting angry. Uh, comparing myself, trying to make it here last week uh, in order to get ready for the event versus uh, making it today. Like, you know, I, I knew that there would be a couple of cars cutting off after making the turn from West Park uh, tollway to Gessner, uh, but I was patiently sitting there. Probably once in five times I may have cut through the gas station because I'm running late. Uh, so, so it's illegal, by the way. It is. Yes. <laughs> uh, it is. Uh, so that's a journey to from three to five times to one to five times, hopefully zero. <laughs> but uh, my son realized it and was like, Dad, usually, you know, you honk, but it's like you're patient today or calm, not honking, like cut you off a couple of times. I'm like, yeah. Because you were on time. On time, had plenty of time to make it, not running late. So that's one of the ways where, like, you know, better planning uh, helps. 
And better planning is what? Mindfulness, right? Yeah. I'm sorry that I keep mentioning it, but um, it's it's kind of like uh, how we how want you, to live our life and how you want to accomplish your goal. How do you explain that to your spouse? <laughs> You start off with the, we start off with the practical stuff first. That is, <clears throat> the applications of mindfulness are taking deep breaths, count, focusing on your, counting to 10, focusing on your breath. You start off with that because everybody understands that. And then you start, and then you start with the theory behind why we do that. Because there are safety valves to make sure that you don't have a physical, like what I meant is immediate response in response to the emotions in your brain. So that's one layer of abstraction above that. And then the final layer of abstraction above that is, it's the application of mindfulness. So Jainism is about yourself, right? Yes, Jainism is about your soul and how you achieve, how your soul achieves liberation. So being Jain and being married, how is the connection of your spouse and you being in line to teach your kids? Because if we're about ourselves, should we worry about anything around us? Right? See, well, now you've hit on one of the uncomfortable truths, right? That is where the rubber meets the road about the theory of Jainism in the classroom versus the application of Jainism outside the classroom. You have started to make the connection that, hey, you know, my goal is I want to take Diksha. I want to do as much Nirjara and Sambar in my life as possible. And those, the opposite of those goals is taking care of my family. It's taking my spouse out on dates. I mean, is that a waste of time? Well, when you consider that you only have a very limited time in human form to do as much Sambar and Nirjara as possible, it's an uncomfortable truth, but we've never shied away from uncomfortable truths in this class. And yes, it is a waste of time. Okay. Is there... Okay, let's, let's go back to anger. Sure. So is there a way that you can channel your anger and be in line with your spouse to channel their anger against your kids? All right, no problem. Yes, channeling anger is very effective and very useful. I channel anger into exercise all the time. I love it. It's good for me. I turn something bad into something good. Channeling anger is, uh, but it's a stepping stone. And it shouldn't be the final product. The final product is, of course, precluding violent thoughts from your life altogether. And we do that by making the choice each time until it doesn't occur to us that it would have been possible to choose anything else. If, if you're living honestly, right? And so the question about helping, being about yourself and then being about others and the uncomfortable truth. If you get to that point where you're living, let's say naturally, spiritually natural way where the let's say the decision for example in the car where your decision uh, 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 has been made over and over to not to not become angry that eventually you don't become angry because you've made that decision so many times now it's natural it is 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 it a waste of time or is it almost like on like for example on an airplane 
when they tell you to put your oxygen mask on first. Worry about your oxygen mask because you can't help anybody else if you're not getting in, right? So it, as opposed to being a waste of time, uh, the other things that you're doing, is, it, is there a state where you can get where you, you've gotten to yourself to a point where um, you can uh, help others, you can explain to others, and you can do these things and it, and it not be a waste of time? Well, that is a very diplomatic way to put it. Um, I did it very undiplomatically. I called it a waste of time. But that is certainly a very diplomatic way to put it. That's a, probably a better way to put it. <laughs> okay. So Timothy, you asked uh, if we have met people who are, you know, really calm. Yeah, on the way to enlightenment. But, and, and, but, and then you mentioned that anger is supposed to be easiest out of four and can be done uh, really quickly. It'll take you less than one year. Have you seen people has taken that journey and has been successful absolutely in, in one year and what what few of the things i don't know if you know but uh, from those people have you heard anything what what worked for them yeah uh, you mentioned janish by janish by is talk to him yeah he's one of the people uh um he's one of the people that i've seen that have eliminated anger from his life okay anybody else because this class is about you. I want this class to be helpful to you. So let's talk about ways to reduce violence in your life. Yeah, I, um, when you ask a question about the violence on the ground, so we, what do you suggest when you have like ant mounds? Mm -hmm. Put the granules on it? <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> so, no. Um, but there is this tension, right? We, let's say it's in the backyard. We want our kids to play in the backyard. But we don't want ants in the backyard. Um, so uh, we can tell our kids about ants and then we can have them watch out for them. And then um, we can do, um, there's ways to remove ants that don't kill them. So don't put the granules. Um, and then just make sure we know where the ant piles are in the yard. And uh, they'll eventually move on. That is your yard won't, if you, they're not going to get on the telephone with the other ants and then be like, oh, Ashish's yard is a safe place and you'll have nothing but ants in your yard. That's not going to happen. Um, yeah. If there is an equilibrium that you will reach with the ants where you don't have to kill them and you can still use your backyard. Because ants have a soul just like you and I do. And each ant has a soul just like you and I do. That's great. Um, that that would be ideal. That's how I've been saying. I'm not saying that. You're forcing someone else to do that. So the pop goes to them. <laughs> <laughs> forcing them. I asked. Hey, <laughs> that must that must be an MBA thing. Yeah. Congratulations, brother. So we've talked about uh, this close connection between ahimsa and anger, but it's not necessarily so. That is, we can commit violence not in anger. That is, we can commit violence without knowing it. Usually, inadvertently, we commit violence, and then there's not really anger involved. 
So just be aware of that, that remember violence is the suffering of another living being. And you can cause violence, of course, obviously physical violence. You can cause mental, mental violence through your speech. And you can even cause violence by your violent thoughts, right? And so uh, think about, I think that's where a lot of us can make a lot of progress is this, this violence that we commit that's not tied to anger, that is inadvertent or that we may not be aware that we're doing. Um, so think about that um, in your life too. Certainly. And the way we do that is the way we also reconcile living by being vegetarian. That is, there are one through five sensed animals. Um, that is, having one sense, two sense, three sense, four sense, five sense. And the more senses you have, the more suffering that you are capable of. So the reason that we are vegetarian is because there is this trade-off. There is this reconciliation that happens that says, hey, we have to live, okay? But we want to live to do more somber and more nirdra. But we don't want to cause violence. And we understand that just by our living and eating plants, that's causing violence. So we limit our violence to the one sense being, which is why we are vegetarian. And in the same way, we limit our violence by, instead of doing, you know, three errands separately, we do the three errands together. We limit our violence by saying, hey, instead of mowing the lawn once every two weeks and having it be perfect, we're going to do it once every month. And it's okay if it's not perfect. We do what we can to limit it, while at the same time, understanding that when we do, for example, when we do eat plants, we are eating a living being. When we do these inadvertent acts of violence, like violence, it will help our intention, it will help the karma binding to our soul by being aware of it, that we're doing it, and doing it with intention, and trying to minimize it at the same time. That's how we reconcile it. Questions or comments about anything we talked about? Okay, that's it for this week. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you to our new member, John. We really appreciate having you. Um, and I'll, I'll send... Okay, no problem. Um, I'll send you that, uh, that email with those specific links that I mentioned. Uh, we have class next week, and that will be our final class before the break. 
and then we'll reconvene uh, in January. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, uh, you too. Thank you.